Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. So as I mentioned, we are turning back a little bit in the story of humanity and creation and going back to the garden to be able to to really look at how and why were we created. And and we could spend months here and and we're not going to be able to do that. And and obviously we are not going to exposit every line that Joe read this morning. And so it's going to be a little different. Uh, Sometimes we spend an hour or so on three verses. Today we have maybe 30 verses and we're going to spend the same amount of time. And so um, just kind of give you an idea of what we're trying to do here. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about as we've been moving here in Timothy and talking about the role of men and women, and, and, and I thought we'll just go into that, and as I said earlier in the announcements, the more we looked at that, I'm like, well, really, there's such confusion in our world, and I'm not saying all of you are confused, maybe, maybe you are a little bit, um, but the confusion in the world about kind of what, what, how, why were we created, and, and this, this whole, I mean, who, who knew? I mean, we can see in Scripture that there's been challenges with sexual sin ever since Genesis. Uh, and so that's nothing new. That's, and none of this is, I think, is, um, you know, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. There's, there's no new temptation for man that hasn't already been here for thousands of years since creation. However, there are seasons and, and, and times where, where it, it's, it flourishes. It, it seems to almost take over um, a people, a nation. We, we see that throughout Scripture. We, we, a few months ago, we read Romans 1 a little bit, and we had some prayer time over that, and we just see how, how men, uh, when I say men, when I talk about the word men, it means humanity, has denied the truth and, and believed the lie, and that, that, that the enemy Satan is pulling us away into a, a very worldly system, and at times, uh, the church or uh, it does good at kind of withstanding that and, and staying pure, and then times, the church is corrupted by that. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, who knew that just 10 years ago, even if we go back 20, 30 years ago, think about the changes that have happened in our culture and in the world. What, what's acceptable? I mean, we could go all the way back and just talk about sexuality in general, right? I mean, um, and I wasn't really paying attention or was very little. You know, many of you have probably talked about, if you're my age, about a lot of the shows, you know, you had twin beds, in the, in, the, in the thing, you know, nobody was even allowed to, I think somebody even had to have a foot on the ground at one point, I think that was part of what the, the ratings were. Today, I mean, gosh, there's, you know, Katie barred the door, there's nothing that would, we can do anything we want, right? Um, especially now with the internet. But then, you know, so we obviously have dealt with sexual sin. We've dealt with homosexuality, that's obviously all the way back to the beginning. Um, but it in our culture today, that's really now moving into the church in a way in this season, in the last 15, 20 years, 30 years, that is really changing the landscape of the church. And, 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 and really God is, I believe, separating those who um, are really wanting to be faithful and are his and, and, and those who are disobedient. I'm not, I'm not the judge of whether people's salvation or not. That's, that's not my call. But there are red flags if you read anything about the Methodist Church over the last four years, the United Methodist Church is having a big split. Um, in their book of discipline, which is kind of the, their guidance of how they function, um, they've 
decided that they're going to, they've already been ordaining women, and, but now that homosexuality, they're endorsing it. It's, it's, they, just, they don't believe it's a sin, and, and um, it's okay. And, and so I don't know where they stand with transgender. But, and so the Methodist Church in 2019 decided that they were not going to do that. Some of them were not going to do that. And it was a very, it's almost like the United States. It was a 47 to 53% vote. Uh, one to stay very traditional and to honor God's word as it comes to homosexuality and, and the others not to. And so there's a gigantic split and they're going to splinter off in many different directions. Uh, but the United Methodist Church will kind of stay the very more, more liberal tone and then there's going to be a global Methodist church that's going to take on more the traditional view. Uh, once again, they'll still have women pastors and that's, they're, not, they're not disputing that there. But, um, but who would have known, who would have thought that 20 years ago, even about the United Methodist Church. Who knew that we would be learning a whole new vocabulary of gender fluid, pansexual, non-binary, birthing people, and I could, I could, the list could go on to a hundred different things. How did we get here, right? I mean, like, I mean, it just, like that, and we're here. The other day, I don't know if you watch much news, but probably better off if you don't. Um, International Women's Day. That's wonderful. We should celebrate women. Absolutely. One of the 11 women that they honored was a biological male. That's transgender. At the White House. Now, I want to be real clear. We should love people. Okay, so we got to be real careful here because as, as, we, as we preach about sin and disobedience, we want to have empathy for the sinner. We want to love them. That doesn't mean that we don't admonish. That doesn't mean that we don't stand up and, and speak very clearly about what is right and what is not right and, and what we think God's word says. We have to be very clear about that. But we also want to be very careful that we don't turn into hate speech that we don't turn out to, to tear people down because they're involved in sin. We were once one of them. And maybe some of us here today, maybe you're not a believer and, and you're still in that category. We want you to know we love you and we trust, trust that God is gonna speak to you today and work in your heart and, and maybe transform you. All of us still struggle with, with sin. But, but how did we get here? And, and you know, we could, we could spend weeks and, and we could talk, bring all sorts of people to talk about society and the influences of, of um, you know, media, of, of the feminist movement, of um, just, you know, all sorts of things, right? We could do all of that. The, the horrible nature of men, like, you know, and the Me Too movement and all that's come out and, and just this, but it, it really comes back to sin. I mean, at the heart of it, it's all sin. But, but I want to I say this morning that I'm going to read, just tell you a little story. I'm not maybe going to read the whole text here. Um, it's not going to be on the screen. But back in 2 Kings in the Old Testament, uh, if, you, if you read Kings, it's, it's about all the kings of, of Judah and Israel. And, um, and, and many, in fact, if you read it, it's kind of depressing because many times it says, and so-and-so became king at the age of 20 and did evil in the sight of the Lord. The next one, so-and-so became king at age 8 and lived, you know, reigned for 25 years and did evil in the sight of the Lord. I mean, it's one after the other after another. But by God's grace, every once in a while, there's one that says, and he did right inside of the Lord. He did good inside of the Lord. 
So King Manasseh, and there was another king, I forget his name right offhand, um, when they reigned, they were, did evil inside of the Lord. And, and there was all sorts of things, all the way from Solomon, really, even though Solomon was, was a, you know, God gave him knowledge and wealth, um, Solomon allowed, actually, through many of the wives and the concubines that he had from other, uh, other nations to come in and, and was man- not manipulated. He gave in. He did not reign well, and they set up all sorts of false worship all around the kingdom of temples and all sorts of things. And, and those continued under Manasseh and, and other kings. And so the temple, in fact, we believe that maybe under Manasseh, much of the, 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 the scrolls and all of the, the Torah, the, um, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, much of that was destroyed possibly because they just weren't following God. And so what's really interesting, and there's just these places in the Old Testament that are just so sweet and so beautiful um, tragic at times, but, but beautiful. In 2 Kings 22, verses 10 through 11, um, and I would encourage you to go to kind of read that whole section. Uh, Josiah, um, at eight years old, gets to be king. Can you imagine your eight-year-old being king, right? I, I can't imagine a 20-year-old being king right now, to be honest with you, the way our 20-year-olds live sometimes. So I would have not wanted to be 20 and be king. And he reigned, I think, for 20, 20 some years. And so I think it reigned around the age of 26. Um, he was king, and, and he sent his, what he's called his secretary uh, over to the temple to tell the priest uh, uh, Hilkiah to, to pay some contractors because they were kind of renovating some things and fixing the temple up and doing some certain things. So the secretary goes there, and he, he gets to Hilkiah, and Hilkiah the priest says, I've found a scroll. And he gives it to the secretary, and the secretary takes it back to King Josiah. And we believe it's, it's the Torah, it's the first five books that had been missing and really gone. This is the only one. We don't know. When he gets back, he opens it up, and he reads some of it to Josiah, the king. And it talks about how we should live. And, you know, you can imagine the first five books of the Bible. It's very clear about how we should live. And how we should honor God and and what it means to disobey. And Josiah, as hearing the word of God read to him, he rips his clothes. He's shattered to his core because he realizes Israel's disobedience. And so what does he do? I won't go into all of it. I encourage you to read it. But basically, he finds out there's going to be judgment on Israel. And (laughs) talk about God's mercy. God's mercy basically says, Josiah, I'm going to bring judgment on Judea or Judah. But for your sake, because how you've responded, you're going to die before I bring that judgment, right? And you think, how is that like you know, mercy? But, but he lives for quite a while yet. And what does Josiah do? He tears down everything, cleanses the temple, tears down every false god, every false worship thing, and purges it and burns it in the Valley of Kidron. And I'm thinking today, sometimes, man, the church needs to do that. We need a, we need a, a purging uh, in our own hearts, in our own lives. And, and so what's, what's the point here that I kind of want to make, though, is that what happened, they moved away from the Word of God. That's what happened. When you move away from the anchor and the foundation of what tells us who we are, why we're here, what our purpose is, who God is, why He's created us, when you move away from that, you're going to move into the world, and you're going to live for yourself. That, that's why... That's why 
Being in the word is so important, and that's why we preach the way we do. That's why we, we want to do more Bible study, we want more, more opportunities for all of you to be in the word. Uh, we, we're equipping two or three folks, have, I'm so encouraged, have contacted me here recently and, and said they would be interested in teaching, and, and I've still got to follow up with some of those people because we want more opportunities for that. And so, as I've been thinking about kind of where we're getting ready to go, the role of men and women, and because it is a, a divisive issue. But, you know, when we think about the role of men and women, it, it is. For a lot of people, it's a, it's a divisive issue. There's, there's words in the scripture that talks about submission, and, and obviously women go, oh, you know, I don't want to do that. And, and we look at men, and we think, well, you're horrible. Look at the Me Too movement, man. Men are just horrible a lot of times. But just because men are horrible doesn't mean we throw out what God says. We deal with the sin of man, right? We, we don't walk away from what God has set forth in scripture, and then we got to say, well, I, I want this, though. I think this is what should be right. And then we're going to see that, well, just because we want something as humanity doesn't mean that it is good for us, it is right, or is God glorifying. But because we, because we go back to Romans 1, is we want what we want. We just deny that so that we can have what we want. And, that, and we see that that ultimately goes into sexual disobedience there in Romans 1. And so... Um, I just want to go back, and we're going to spend a few weeks, I don't know how many, two weeks, three weeks, I'm not sure. I, I was up very late last night, because there's just so much here to cover, and I, by God's grace, I hope I can rightly divide what we're going to talk about today. So, so let's pick it up. Genesis 1 is, is, as Joe said, is an account of creation um, at a very high level. It's the six days of creation, and, and obviously then God rests, but the six days of creation, then we get into Genesis 2, it, there's a more detailed look then, and really in 2 through 11 of, of chapters of Genesis, a much more detailed look about what happens. And, and so we're going to kind of touch on both of these, and as we read a little bit, we're not going to go through all of the verses that Joe read, but I wanted him to read that to give you context this morning of where we're going to be. But let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We could spend a whole day or a whole message just dealing with this passage and we're not. We're just so, please know, you can come up to me afterwards and say, well, you should have said this and you should have said this and you probably will be right, okay? But that's not what the point here is today. But I'm going to point out a few things. The first thing it says, let us make God in our image. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this whole idea of where do we, this is where we start to see the Trinity, right? Let us. God is having a, an internal conversation inside the Trinity here. Let us make man in our image, right? He's not speaking to men internally. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? Three persons, co-equal, right? All the same nature and deity, but with unique purposes. It says, let us make man in our image. So we look at, in, after our likeness, so what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And, and once again, we could spend weeks just probably unpacking that, but I just want to give a high-level thing here. Would you say that God is authoritative? Yes, I think you would say that. God has given, and we're going to see this, God has given man authority. To subdue, and, and when we talk about this word subdue, it, it is not like the, the earth is wild and crazy and we have to subdue it. Really, the, the point is to manage it, to, to oversee it, 
to manage it well, right? And take dominion over it. And so here we see that to be in the image of God, God has given us an authority, an authority. Not, not total authority, obviously, but authority. And we're to manage it well. We're to manage it as God would have. We're stewards of the earth. Today, you're stewards of God's resources that he's given you. All the things that are in your possession, you're a steward over that. You're a steward over your children, right? You have authority there over those things. And you should manage them well for God, right? Number two, we can make moral decisions. We, we understand right and wrong. You say, well, yeah, but we hadn't sinned yet. No, they still understood right and wrong because God said, don't eat of that tree. And they understood that they weren't supposed to eat of that tree, that that was wrong. Now, once they ate of the tree, they got a whole bunch of information that they were never meant to have. And that's why we, our brains cannot process and, and understand all of the, the magnitude of evil and, and all of this. And we were not meant to have that. But we were given a moral and a conscience. We talked about that a few weeks ago. To understand right and wrong. We can imagine and create. Um, this is probably one of my favorites. My, my wife uh, spent several years teaching art and, and has an art studio a little bit. And, and, and she makes pottery and does different things when she has time. And, and, and she just always gravitated towards that because this idea that we can think of something and make something. I don't know if you understand how incredible that is. I have said, and I use this one because I was a Star Trek guy, um, you know, way back in the 70s, uh, you know, Kirk would whip out his, you know, communicator, right? that's the sound effect. And then all of a sudden we have flip phones many years later. Like we, we dreamed it, we thought it, we imagined it, and we created it. Now, we only do that under God's grace and his, the, the knowledge that he gives us, so it's not like we can take credit for all that, but it's, it's how he's made us to be able to do that. Uh, I, one of my favorite ones is, you know, um, and you, maybe I've said this before, but beavers um, are creative. I mean, they chew down a tree and then drag it someplace and build a dam. I mean, that's pretty incredible. But you know what? They're still building dams. They're not building two-befores and building condos. We, have, we can do it and then do, they're in, inherently they're created to do certain things. Birds build nests. And, and many creatures are very intelligent. They know how to maybe, if you've watched some of these shows, the bird can use a stick to get something out of some food, out of something, you know. And, and clearly there's intelligence there. There's, there's, but, but they don't have the capacity to understand and to imagine and to create. And the creative power that God has, he, he makes all things out of nothing, right? Ex nihilo means everything is made out of nothing. We don't have that type of creative power. But we have a, an image of God that we can create. And that's why um, music and art and all those things are beautiful. Once again, as long as they're created in such a way that glorifies God. But we always use things not to glorify God, unfortunately. And then obviously, we can demonstrate the, the characteristics of God, the attributes. We can love. We know what love is because it is God. First John says, God is love. So we can love people. It originates from him. That's, that's why we have love. Justice. Where does justice come from? Did it evolve? Did, did we just come up with it in our all around the world and every evolutionary thing that's happened and all of a sudden we've decided that justice is this wonderful thing? No. We have it because God has put it into us at creation because we're an image bearer and he is just. And so we have it. 
and there's justice systems all around the world. Corrupt because of sin, but there is justice systems. Grace. We have, we can give grace. We, we, can, we can give something to someone that they don't deserve. We can give mercy. It's an attribute of God. We can not give somebody what they deserve. We can forgive because God is God of forgiveness. And so we are image bearers. So what's the point? God created men and women to equally bear his image. God created men and women to equally bear his image. We are both image bearers, right? Both of us. And we're going to look a little bit more um, about how that functions. But, but what's real clear, because so much of the conversation we're going to be having in the, in the, the challenge in our culture today is that, that there's a groups of people out there and whole groups of people that are going to say, well, we're, we're, you, you want dominance. Males want dominance over women and, and this and that. And, and, and what I'm just telling you from the scripture is that we were both created equal. We are both image bearers, Right? absolutely equally valued by God, have equal worth from God. Let's pick it up in the second part of that, obviously. Um, That was the image bearing. But if we look back and we say, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and heavens and and of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, right? We talked, just touched on this already, right? What's, What's the point there? We're not animals, We have dominion over them. And and I'll think about that for a second. Why is that important? Because evolution says, no, we're just animals. We're we're just a higher, we don't have any dominion. We don't have dominion because because we're better, because we've evolved in such a way and we have power over that. No, from the very beginning, God says we have dominion over it because we're not animals. We've been created unique. Now, that's not a, a prideful thing I'm saying. There. I'm saying God has created an image bearer for himself, for his glory, and we are unique. We are not animals. Now, do the animals also bring his glory? Absolutely. All of creation is, is bringing glory to God. And so what do we see here? God made man unique and gave dominion over the animals. God made us unique and gave us dominion. Why? Because it bears his image. It, it, it brings glory to him, right? We are unique image bearer, and it shows his authority in the world. And obviously, to give authority, God must have authority, and we've already talked about that. Authority is a foundational part of God's design. And think about how the world is moving away from authority today. Whether it's defund the police or or whatever it is, not, not, not listening to your teacher in, in school, um, you know, no, no discipline the same way. I mean, by God's grace, I never got paddled at school. Um, I got smacked in the mouth a few times by my mother, very appropriately, I might add. And I still remember exactly where I was in both those moments. I was standing by the sink, and I was standing in the hallway one day upstairs, right? I mean, those were memory makers for me, man. Um, but I remember being in seventh and eighth grade, and we'd be sitting in reading class, and all of a sudden you're swack in the hallway, you know. I mean, every teacher had a paddle hanging in the hanging there, and we people sign them, and they were decorated, and and you know, it's like 
and, and some, some people, especially some of the guys, I mean, they were proud. Yeah, so and, Mr. So-and-so, teacher so-and-so, I, he spanked me once, you know, he battled me. Today, man, you can't look at a kid cross-eyed without being in trouble. In fact, if you do that, parents are going to come and they're going to ream you for whatever you do. Now, obviously, because of sin, we can go too far with those type of things. I'm not, I'm not endorsing capital punishment or I'm not endorsing, you know, that we paddle kids. That's not my point. The point is, is that we've lost We've lost any authority structure in our culture. And, and, and why? Because the enemy is all about destroying the authority of God. See, what we have to see is this is a much grander picture. We're just kind of going down the river, flowing along with everything, and wondering, oh, this is just the way it is. No, there's systematic strategies here by the enemy to tear down and to not bring glory to God. And, and that's the whole point. And we're going to see that theme, we see that theme played out all through history, but we're going to see it played out many places here through Genesis in the next few weeks probably. Verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. So God now does it. He's not having the internal conversation now. He's, he's doing it. He's, he's having a conversation with Jesus, and I could probably say, well, let's go to John chapter 1, and we see that, that the word was Created all things. Everything was made through the word, which is Jesus, right? So, so God creates man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we talk about man here. This is the idea that man is humanity, not man. Humanity. And now he says he creates them male and female. He created them. Once again, Humanity, man, is moving away from that. The enemy is saying, nope. In fact, and we're not here yet. The, the fall hasn't happened yet, but he's not talked about it. But this idea that what does the serpent say to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say you weren't supposed to eat in the tree? I almost, when I read that passage, it's like, did God really say there was only two genders? I don't think he said that. I think you can be whoever you want to be. Th- that, that plays out all throughout sin in our life. Everywhere. So what's the point? Masculinity and femininity should be celebrated, not diminished. Masculinity and femininity should be celebrated, not diminished. Now, I know that this is going to cause some heartache here a little bit. Girls, our culture has made it so that girls don't want to be girls anymore. And boys don't want to be boys. And yet God has created something to bring him glory and make us unique. And we've said, no, I don't want that. I want what I want. Romans 1, right? Deny the truth, believe the lie. And so how, where, how deep does this go? And once again, we could, we could go a long way here. But at the very high level, the enemy is trying to degender us in the sense that because I believe that masculinity and femininity are image bearers of God. They are attributes. In, 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 in masculinity, there's many things, but there's this there's um, some authority structure that has been given to, 
to, to Adam here, um, and we'll see that here in a minute. There's protection, there's work, the, the way he structured our bodies is different, right? In creation, it's different, we're made differently. And yet in a woman, there's this beautiful thing about nurturing and loving and, and how we raise children and, and pouring out and, and so many gifts in both people. And both of those are attributes of God. And so one is not elevated above the other one. One is not better or more worthy. No, they're both beautiful pictures of, of who God is. And so they should be celebrated. And, and what the enemy comes along and does is he says, no, we're not going to celebrate those things. You're all kind of the same. You're all kind of the same. And, and what would we say there is that, and this is a word that we're going to use several words here that you guys aren't probably going to be real familiar with possibly. And, um, but the first one is um, androgyny. Now, I'll just briefly explain that. Androgyny, having an ambiguous sexual identity. Downplaying the differences of male and female. The idea is, is that, that we're homogenized. That we're all just the same. Because see, that breaks, once again, it destroys the image bearer. It's, it's unclear then, right? And, and we, we're, we're just, we're, just it's, we're not different. He didn't create us male and female. He just created us. I want to, I'm just going to go, we got to keep moving pretty quickly here. So there's a, there's a, there's two more words I'm going to share with you here in a minute that, that are not in scripture. And, and that word's not obviously androgyny is not in scripture. Um, but these are descriptive words to, to kind of categorize how, how churches or how people think or how, how people believe about something, right? So like we're, we're, we're Southern Baptists. Well, that word's not in scripture either. But when you hear Southern Baptists, you have an understanding about maybe what we believe, right? Um, we could talk about Lutheran. We've talked about Methodists already here this morning, right? They're just words. And so just when it, these aren't like words that we should lift up and look as holy. These are just words to describe something. So this idea of androgyny and homogenizing men and women, I believe, and, and you can come and talk to me about this if you disagree with this, but there's a teaching in a lot of churches today that the role of men and women is that we're equal in all things. And that's true. We are equal before God. But we would say that men and women have different roles, that God has given us different roles in, in for his kingdom, for his glory, for the church, for the family. Look, I can't have children. I don't know if you've noticed that. My hips just don't do it, Right? Now, if that's true, we're biologically different. And I, and I could show you that the youth are going through some material, there's some fantastic material that the, Brian has been taking them through. It's not just the main things biologically that you would think are different. Many things inside the biological system are completely different. All sorts of things are different. Heart size, all sorts of things, Right? Muscle mass, bone density. This is not just, oh, well, however we want to raise this child is going to be the determinative factor. No, we are created unique, male and female. Okay? So, but, but this idea of teaching that we're the same, I'm going to use this term and then I'll try and explain it, is egalitarianism. And I know a lot in the church, many Christians on both sides, I'm not saying if you believe this, you're not a Christian, you love the Lord. I'm, I'm just saying there's a way of thinking about scripture and about the role of men and women that's called egalitarianism. And what they would say is that this is it teaches that in Christ, there is no gender distinctions anymore. And where do they get that? They get that, what, what they would say is, is that before the fall, right, 
that there was no distinctions, that we were one in God. In some degree, but that, that's not true, I don't think. I don't think that's true. I, I think we have different roles. We're equal and loved by God, but we have different roles, even before the garden, and we're going to see that. And then after the fall, because the, the curse caused distinctions and, and conflict. But then when Christ came and died and was resurrected, he mended that, and now we have no distinctions any longer. We're one again. And where do they get that? I believe that most of them get that in the Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, in chapter 3, verse 28. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is, n- there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, I agree with that statement. Contextually, what it's talking about there is that in Christ, th- there's no favoritism. Th- God does not look at us and judge us based on whether we were slave or whether we were Greek or, or we're male or whether we're female or we're young or they're old. In Christ, there's nothing. God looks at us as a child of his. It's not saying that in creation that we don't have different functions and different roles. That's not what that is saying. But that's where many people go to, to then say, no, we're equal in all things. And I could, I could go a lot of places here where, where that is a dangerous way of thinking. And I'm just going to touch on it just briefly. And I've got, you know, once again, feel free to come give me pushback. Churches and denominations that are, believe this way of thinking, by and large, and I'm not saying everyone, but, but I've done a lot of research, almost everyone ordains women pastors because that's the point, that we're all equal, roles are all equal. Look, and I, I, I know a woman pastor, I think she loves Jesus, I think she's saved, I mean, I, I'm not here to disperse anybody's salvation there. I don't believe that's what scripture teaches. But then when you look at those same churches, and I'm not blaming women for this, so don't hear that, many of them now are not, are saying that homosexuality is not a sin. It is a, it is a, it's a move that goes that way. When a line of thinking says we're all equal, no differences between male and female, why not be transgender? Why not be homosexual? Because there's no differences. So I can be whatever I want. I can be fluid because there's no differences. I can be here if it fits me. I can be here if it fits me, and I don't have to do that. And that's one of the dangers when you start to move into an egalitarian way of thinking because that's not what Scripture teaches. No, once again, I've, there's wonderful people of God that, be, that have that view, and I'm not saying that they're not Christian. I'm saying that's a dangerous place to go. We've got to stay in the text of Scripture, right? Where, where also do we see this? We see this um, homogenation and um, this, um, this kind of egalitarian view or androgyny in, in media. And, and, and once again, ladies, don't, don't get mad at me here. I'm not saying that you, you can't be a hero. You can't. But you know, now it's, it's, it used to be there was, um, there was a prince that came to, and, and, and God, give me one of the, Cinderella, thank you. That's almost shameful today that, that, a, that a man would do that, right? And the woman would allow that. It shows that we're weak. We're not weak. Well, no, not in the sense, in one sense, but God does say you're the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean that you're weak. That doesn't mean you're not valuable. That doesn't mean you're not loved. He's made you differently. He's made you unique. He's made you to nurture, to raise children. I mean, what greater gift is needed and talent is needed than to give birth and to raise a child? 
There is nothing more gloriously um, endowed to someone than that privilege. And yet, as a culture, we have looked down on that in so many ways. I mean, in every way possible, we have looked down on that. Ladies, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be a woman for so many reasons because you have it so hard. You, you're, the culture is telling you you have to be wonderful at this, you have to be wonderful at this, you have to look this way, you have to have a job, you have to have a career, you got to be able to raise children, and you're responsible if they don't turn out well. I mean, it's just incredible. I, I don't know, and then you have to have pain in childbirth. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all I can tell you right now. And so, what's another view, though? is a view of what we call complementarianism. Complementarianism is the teaching that, that masculinity and femininity are ordained by God and that men and women are created to complement one another and, and to complete one another. It's, it's, not a, it's not that we're homogenized. It's, 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 no, it's, it's that God has created something very unique that we complement each other. And I have to be careful here because... I, I could go in so many places that I don't have in my notes and, and I don't want to do that because there's more to talk about in the next few weeks. But we're going to revisit that theme in a very major way. So different ways of thinking. One is that we're equal. And both of these, I would say that we're equally loved by God, equally valued by God, um, equally bring image bearing to God. One says that, that we can have, do all things and do all roles and that God hasn't given us unique roles in Christ. One says, no, we've been given unique roles to glorify God, not that we have um, uh, um, more value one way or the other, but that we're unique, okay? And, and that would be complementarianism. All right, we gotta keep moving. Well, don't worry, we're gonna revisit that probably next week or the week after. Genesis 128, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and the heavens and over the, every living thing that moves on the earth, right? So here we see be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was the command by God is to, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. So to, to, to manage the earth, you have to have children. You have to have more people. And, and everybody, you know, several years ago, everybody was worried about uh, overpopulation. And, and, and we were at like for every, I think the birth rate was... At five for every person that's dying. So we were growing. I think we're at seven, eight million, billion people right now. Um, most studies right now, the birth rate has dropped down to like two. And, and just to sustain actual population, it has to be like 1.5. In fact, Japan right now is going the other way. More people are dying than being born. Boy, that's not going to last long for you, is it? You're going to be out of business, Right? They estimate that in the next 30 years, 20, 30 years, if things go, and obviously they're just projections, the world will actually start turning around and going the other direction, that we'll actually be having less population because of that. Who knows, right? I'm hoping that the Lord comes before that. But anyway, so this, this whole point is that to be fruitful and to multiply it's, it's, and give dominion, it's, it's just what God has given us over the creation, all right? So I just, I'm going to keep going. Now we're going to get into Genesis chapter 2. Here's a little bit more detailed view of, of what we see here in the creation of man on the sixth day. In chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. So many things here that I'm not even going to touch on, but so many things here. I encourage you to just read that and meditate and study this. So first of all, he puts man in the garden to work. Okay? We're created to work. We're created to, to be an image bearer, to create, not to sit and do nothing. Right? Um, it, our culture today is all about leisure, all about uh, vacation. And, and I'm not saying there's not wrong. God rests on the seventh day. I think he gives us this model that we should rest. But six days are to work and, and to, to function and to create and to do these things because he, we're the image bearer, right? And so God has also given man here in the garden some responsibility. And then what does he say? I'm going to put a tree in the midst of the garden of knowledge of good and evil, and you shall not eat of it, or you shall surely die. And I've made that comment many times. I love how God is just very clear about that. It's no, no, not ambiguous. You shall surely die. I'm, I'm promising you. So what do we see here? What's the, what's the major point of this? These are just foundational things that we're trying to set as we kind of work through the text of creation. As creator, God has the authority to set the rules for how we should function and live. He is the creator, folks. He gets to tell the creature how to live. Now, we don't have to live that way. God has created a, a, a universe and a world that we can say no. But what I'm saying is, is that when we say no, we shall surely die. In other words, there is this way that we can rebel and say no to God in many ways in our life. Ultimately, when we say no to Christ, when we say no to the, the salvation work of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus, when we say no to that, we, are, we will be separated from God for eternal, eternity. But here, as creator, God has the authority to set these rules. He can say, don't eat of that tree, because it's his tree, <laughs> and you're his creature, and he can make that rule. And that can be expanded then to say, look, if he gives us different roles, he has every right to do that. He can say, it's my creation. This is about bringing me glory. I can create a people for myself, and I'm going to call them Israel. I can do that. Why didn't he do the Canaanites? I don't know. You have to talk to him. It's his world. He can do what he wants. And, and we just don't like that. Satan didn't like that. He says, no. Because that brings you glory, and I want that. I want that power. We could go to all sorts of Old Testament passages, and we could look at all sorts of things. But that's the point. And so we just have to really, I've said this so many times, we have to really meditate on the fact that remembering that God is the creator, and we are the creature. If you get that structure right, if you get that, if you meditate on that truth, a lot of things become a lot more clear in our Christian faith and how we live out our life. He gives us the law. He has every right to say that you need to obey that because we're his creature. Your children, we talked about this the other week, right? Your children, you have every right to tell your children how to behave. And you have authority over them. And if they don't do it, you can discipline, you can remove 
privileges. You can do what, and it is right. And yet, we, we see that because everything in, in, our, in our life, everything in the, in the world, um, I wouldn't say everything, almost everything in, in creation is, is, a, is a mere image to teach us who God is. And so in the family structure, we see the Godhead. We see how it functions. We see authority. We see there's a headship. We see all of it here in our families. And when we look at scripture, it's there. It says this is who God is, and it makes sense that his creation would bring him glory. It's gonna reflect who he is. And so he's not creating something that is inconsistent with how he interacts with us. It's very congruent. So as creator, God has the authority to set the rules for how we should function and live. And you know, I I didn't go here, but in Genesis chapter one, verse 31, and it says, after he got done creating everything, what did he say? It was very good. So there's no question whether it was good, right? All right, next point I wanna make is that God made man responsible before woman was created. It sure looks to me like that the woman wasn't created here in chapter two until God made man and put him responsible and told you, you need to work, you need to take care of the garden, you need to do these things, and you don't need to eat, of the, I don't want you to eat of that tree. He made him responsible here. Eve, I don't think, and we don't know, I'm just, this is subjective a little bit, I don't think Eve was there. So I think here that God is, is making man responsible. When we get into the New Testament, we're not going to go there today. Ephesians 5, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's responsible. And part of the problem in the fall in, in our culture today is men are not responsible. We are, we are apathetic. We are lazy. We, um, if somebody else will do it, we'll let them. <laughs> like, I won't do it. They'll do it, right? And then part of the other problem is that's one way we gravitate. And then the other way we get too authoritative. We get, we get way too authoritative. Once again, we, get, we use, we use the, the masculinity, we use the authority that God, I believe, has given us in creation, and we corrupt it, and we use it for evil. And so we go back to Scripture, and God never says, in fact, he disciplines those who do that. In fact, in the New Testament, even under elders, what does it say? Do not, do not lord over them, but serve them. I mean, even God understands that the challenge it is that we as men don't live and, and serve like Christ serves his church, right? We're to die for our wives, guys. We're to serve them. We, we're not to lord over them. We're to lead, absolutely. There's, I believe that there's a headship that's being established here in Scripture that's absolutely right, God-glorifying. It's a role that we should play, but we should do it in a loving, sacrificial way but we should not be apathetic and stand by and let the enemy walk in the door and do nothing. We're gonna look at that in another week too. That's, that's why I couldn't put it all in today's message. Verse 18 through 20. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man that should man should be alone. I will make a, uh, him a, help, a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. 
Once again, high level here. What do we see? Well, first of all, we see that man is incomplete here, right? He's not, he's not good completely on his own, right? He needs a helper. Now, when I say the word helper, many people will then say, oh, we're less. Women are less. That's not what that means. It's not at all what that means. Do you know the Holy Spirit is the helper that God sends? Where would we be without the Holy Spirit? Amen? The helper, in fact, God says he is the helper to us. Right? He is the thing that sustains us and helps us and keeps us. And so when it says that God will going to give him a helper, I think what he's saying is, Adam, you can't do this by yourself. You need somebody to help you. Now, it doesn't say partner. We are partners for life. We become one flesh. And the only reason I, I want to distinguish that, because sometimes I want to say that, that there is a distinguishing role here. We're equal, we're partners, we're one flesh in marriage when we marry, absolutely. But there is a unique structure that I believe that God is putting forth here in Scripture. And we're going to talk about a couple of these things. And so what's the point here? We've got to wrap up. Man is incomplete, so God provided a helper, right? He provided a helper. Equal in value, glorious, beautiful, um, Man should absolutely uh, be willing to die for his helper. Uh, this relationship should be one of, of mutual trust and, and building each other up and being for each other. We see, once again, we see in Ephesians 5, we are to, to care for her. What is, this, in Ephesians 5, it's this analogy about how Christ cares for his church and he, he, he washes her with the water of the word. This whole picture of how he cares for the woman and is willing to die for her. And that's the picture for us, is that we are to care and to, 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 make, to make every opportunity for our wives or women in our life to be all that God made them to be and to encourage that. How we do that is so important. We don't have time to go into all of that right now. Verse 20, second part of 20 through 23. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place of, with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He looked at all the other animals and wasn't cutting it. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. There's this beautiful thing here that God is doing. Now notice that the creation of woman is different than every other created being. There is this oneness that he's doing here. That's why when it says when a man shall leave his father and mother become one with his wife, it's going back to this, this idea that they will cleave together because they've been, the woman has been created out of man. There's this unique relationship there, this beautiful intimacy that is there. Because I believe that that is the intimacy that is being represented in Christ and the Father. He's been taken out of the Father, right? He is the Father. He is God. I know it's, it's the Trinity, but it's this picture once again. But isn't there headship there? We're going to look at that more later. There's a headship there. And that's what he's saying. So it is, it, but we don't look down on Jesus because we say he's less. No, we ex extol him, right? 
We honor him. And then it says that he gets to name the animals. And then he, he says he names Eve and he calls her woman. And then later in chapter 3, at the end of the, the curse, he actually names her Eve. He's the one that, she's the, the mother of all things. She's the, and he calls her Eve. And so he names her. And once again, guys, that, folks, that is not a, it's not a negative thing. It's not an authoritative thing in the sense of a negative authority. But it is a responsibility, and it shows headship. And so my last point as we close, naming shows responsibility and indicates headship. He was given responsibility to name the animals, and he did. It says he does. He does it. And he's been given authority over the creation that way. And I would say not just Adam, that includes Eve, his, his helper as well, absolutely. But he, he names the woman. These are subtle things that I think are just showing there's a, there's a loving headship here, right? As parents, you name your children. Um, there's, a, there's a loving headship there. I think these are just subtle but very beautiful things that we see, right? So what's your takeaway this morning? Because we've got to wrap up. We're pushing our time here. We need to stay true to Scripture, right? Where, where, what, where, where, how did it work out for Israel when they didn't have the Word? Not well. Where are we today when we see our culture moving away from God? And I would say, argue more specifically, when the church who, had the, who has the Word moves away from the Word, how is that working out in our culture? Not good. Not good. We need to cleave to the word, right? We, we need to hold it fast. And look, I'm not saying that this is simple. I am not saying, look, this, scripture is a mirror to my sin. It is not easy. I'm not saying that. But it sanctifies us. It, it makes us holy. It makes us pure. It, it, in fact, many times, what does the scripture say? It's like it burns off the impurities of our life. The gospel, the word of God is heat underneath us and it causes us to come to repentance and cause us to forgive and to be forgiven. It's this beautiful picture of, of God glorifying us for his purpose and sanctifying us in him. And so just a few things I want to remind you as we think about what the word there says is that God is the creator and we are the creature. Or the creator and we are the creature. Just meditate on that truth. We were created to bear God's glorious image. We are equal in an image bearer. We're equal in value. Men and women are equal in that. He clearly has made men and women specifically, and masculinity and femininity are to be celebrated, not diminished. And then I believe the created order and the responsibility that is given there in Scripture indicates a loving headship in Scripture. So, we're going to talk a lot more about this in the weeks to come before we move into 1 Timothy uh, and, and continue in chapter 2 there. Um, if you have any thoughts or questions, please feel free to come see me. Um, we are just trying to rightly divide Scripture, and, and I realize that for some, uh, these, these truths, why we, we understand them, for some people, it's hard. Maybe I know for some people... Um, especially ladies, I believe, that's because of the, the sin of men, uh, the sin of our fathers, uh, the sin of grandfathers, uh, maybe the, the sin of a boss, uh, the, is, is taints our view of this and, and really crushes because we've been crushed by it. 
And so this idea that, no, I, and, and I would agree that that is a horrible thing. Um, and, and there are ways to, to bring healing there, hopefully. I, I pray that there's a way healing there. But, but there is a, a certain structure that God has put in place. And I think the danger is, is because sin is in the world, we don't throw out the structure. We, we help bring conviction and, and, and sanctification over the sin so that we can get back to the glorification of God in the structure that he's put forth. So let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. Lord, I pray that these truths will be nestled into our heart and our minds and we will, we will dive into Scripture to see, um, as, as it says in, in Acts, that the Bereans went and searched the Scriptures so that they know those things were so. Lord, I would challenge all of us to go to the text and let it dictate our, our belief, our faith, the way we live. Help us to remember that you are the creator and we are the creature, that we should honor you because you have created us and given us life. And as Christians, Father, not only you've given us life physically, but you've given us eternal life through Christ. You have forgiven us and died for us. So, Father, I just praise you this morning. I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for the structure that you've laid out. Give us the strength, the wisdom, the discernment to adhere to it in a way that brings you honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.